0: Hey, Gavin here, Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here. This is an opportunity where you and I can go deep on some subjects, where I can share with you some extra content from some of our fantastic guests, where we're going deep on certain issues. I wanted these sessions to be more than just uh, a basic interview. Um, I wanted to go deep on and create masterclasses where you can get some profound understanding on on subjects that are so pertinent and relevant to running your business, but not talked about as often. Certainly not the level of depth that they warrant. And no better subject is this subject of psychology of self and engagement of team. And that's what we started with in the first episode that we had with Dr. Melanie Lee. We talked about this idea before you dive into problem-solving, into technique and strategy with your teams and you know employees. First, you've got to get um, the process right and the formulation right. And we went into depth about areas such as regulation and what we need to do um, around reasoning and how we can maintain ourselves in the best possible state in order to be able to get a shared understanding of a problem so that then we can work through together, creatively, calmly and cooperatively to come up with a solution to a problem, to come up with a strategy. This episode, I want to go deep in a specific situation. I've seen a lot of business owners bringing back teams from furlough and those teams have had mixed uh, levels of willingness to return to work. Some have been Hey, let me back to the place of work. I've been hemmed up at home. I can't wait to get back in. Others have been, no, I've been at home on furlough. I'm quite happy staying at home and getting paid for staying at home and doing nothing. I've been much less reluctant, uh, much less willing, I beg your pardon, to come back to work. And then there's been the dynamics, the complex dynamics that some people have been at work and the world has moved on while others have been at home and reintegrating those. But equally i've seen many business owners right come on crack on business as usual there isn't time to waste and what this episode does is just take you through some ways of engaging those teams if it's too late you can do it now you can press the pause button now to build on that team to build on the interaction so that between members of teams between yourself and your team members here you will find some ways to address problem, challenging behaviour. Some what do you do in the face of aggression? What do you do in the face of passive-aggressive behaviour? And how you can get the team back to creating a, a trust-centered, high-performing business relationship, high-performing team dynamic. Like the last episode with Dr. Melanie Lee, this one. You need to listen to several times. In the editing process of both of these, I've listened to them three times. Each time I go, gosh, there's that level of depth or that point that hadn't fully registered with me or, you know, on the first listen through, never mind the actual recording live. So there's a huge amount of value. Treat these as little masterclasses that you refer back to, put into place, practice and play with the things that I'm gonna meet Dr. Melanie and I will share with you. And you'll start to see payback on the bottom line of your business as a result of team effectiveness, productivity, better customer service and satisfaction, and better innovation and product development to boot. If you're loving these podcasts, then please do head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master. It's super easy. I promise you your support really is appreciated and it helps in the creation of these in-depth masterclasses and interviews to equip you, your team and your business for growth. If you have supported us already, many thanks. And if not, you can do this by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master. You'll also be able to get access to exclusive content from the guests and myself, further insights and information on the featured episodes and how you can get more access for you and your business. Hi, Gavin here, Business Mastermind podcast. And in our season on Revive, we had such a fascinating conversation last time with Dr. Melanie Lee talking about the psychology of self and about how you can stay regulated, I wanted to go a level deeper and talk about how we as leaders can create a safe space for our teams, how we can engage teams coming back into the workplace. This is probably a change of pace required now. Um, and if you have a level of, of Non-compliance by individuals, reluctant to return to work. How you can engage, how you can deal with any disagreements or conflict, and how you can create a high-performance environment out right of your teams. So, I want to welcome back Dr. Mel Lee.
1: Hello, Gavin. Thank you very much indeed for having me back. I'm looking forward to our next conversation.
0: So let's let's now jump straight into the com because we did the introductions last time. So let's jump straight into the piece. The scenario is you're a leader. You've got your own team as a business in a business your head is in uh, revenue generation, operational delivery, making up any lost ground that you may have had over the last sort of 15 months, and yet you may not have as focused, as motivated, as determined teams. So what's your insights in terms of your thoughts around how you can re-engage or engage people that are returning to the workforce, or for those that are back in the workforce, help them get more sort of fired up and on board with what you're trying to achieve in your business.
1: All such important questions, aren't they? Because it's it's uh, the absolute reality of what we're living through at the moment. So I suppose there's a few things to consider, particularly building on what we spoke about last time. As leaders, we've got such an amazing opportunity to model, live and breathe the principles by which we are running our business. And if we're doing a successful business, attending to the relationships and your um very good working relationships with your team are going to be absolutely crucial to the success of any corporation, any organisation. So this is not an add-on extra luxury to attend to when there's a problem. This is creating the culture from the very start. So we spoke last time about regulation first in terms of self-regulation, knowing about your nervous system, knowing your own buttons that are going to be pushed, recognising with self-insight, when you're in a place of threat or drive, as opposed to being in a more regulated cam place where you can deliver the best communication style as well. Um, then you're able to relate and then you're able to do the reasoning and the problem solving, or as we said last time, get right into the strategy of or the detail regarding what you expect of your team. And I mean, off the top of my head, probably where people make the most common errors is if there's an issue to address, they're going to come straight in with that reasoning piece and come straight in with the the logical parts of this is what I want you to do and why this is why I'm not happy with the current situation. Um, and if you go straight there without just checking the regulation and the relationship first, you're going to get a protracted conversation and probably not the outcome that you want. So what I'd really put forward today is whilst these um, concepts that we're talking about might seem extra effort at times for people that wouldn't normally go there, it's absolutely efficient in the long run. Okay. And it, particularly if you think about employees on furlough, we've got this dichotomy of the fact that All of us have been through exactly the same scenario. So we've all been in threat mode. We've all been in high states of anxiety, huge changes to our personal working life. So that is a common factor that we've all been through that we can absolutely acknowledge when people are returning to work from furlough or have been working throughout from home. Just some time to really debrief and acknowledge what we've all been through together collectively is worth doing. But then the second part of that dichotomy, of course, is we're all completely individual and will have had very different experiences. There will have been people that have really enjoyed the working from home, or if they have been furloughed on a percentage of pay, might have utilised that time to do other creative tasks or other business opportunities. So maybe in a very different headspace to this time last year, because so much has changed. So really having that dual focus in mind of let's validate and acknowledge what you've been through and what I mean by that is just offering people space so when people come for their appraisals or when people come for their return to work strategy setting around what the current tasks are let's give some space and acknowledgement to the fact that what a year it's been like what's it been like for you and then perhaps some modelling again of what's Would you do that one-to-one or would you,
0: well. or, would you uh, or a combination of group ses- a group session and, and one-to-one?
1: I think it needs to be a combination, doesn't it? Because from a group perspective, that collective, there'll be things that everyone can relate to, and it'll be true across the board, that yeah. people are likely to need adjustment time. And that's not to say that you can that you need to compromise on your business objectives, not for one second. I don't mean giving people time to breeze in lightly. I mean, just giving that acknowledgement space, even if it's five, 10 minutes at the start of a conversation, just checking in on how someone is getting that co-regulation going, you're going to get to truthfulness and authenticity so much quicker. Then those individual meetings can take place when you really hear what. Um, I mean, you can anticipate probably with some colleagues that you know well, but with others, it's not making assumptions. Too quickly, we jump in thinking, well, I would do it like this. Why aren't you doing it like that? Without checking. If we think about the return from from furlough for a number of people, there'll be childcare and family logistical issues for so many people that have massively changed. There might be financial implications. There might be loss and bereavement in the family or other scenarios that were unexpected. The rate of mental health difficulties has just skyrocketed, hasn't it? And I know a lot of colleagues in our team that are getting inundated with requests. So this is a real time to acknowledge all of that
0: if a member if at the timing of when this goes out there will be a teams of employees that have been back for some months yes. if this checking in this debrief has not taken uh, presumably it's not too it's not been taken presumably it's not too late to have those conversations and just to check in i should have been back in a couple of months now how are you feeling how is it con- in contrast to what it was when you were at home for a period of time how are you finding the juggling of work and home etc and
1: um- Absolutely. It can happen at any time. And the, the sooner that you do it, the better. And right. there's always an opportunity for dialogue and communication. Um, and we can talk later in this conversation about the way to communicate most effectively and to be aware of where you're coming from and when they are. But we do. What I'd like to really emphasize is there doesn't need to be compromises here. I'm not saying give people a huge amount of time to have chit-chatty conversations without a real focus on the objectives and expectations of your business needs. That is a priority that has to happen. But by checking in with someone, checking that regulation and the relationship, you can very quickly get to questions such as, for you to get up to full speed, what do you need?
0: Brilliant question. Yeah.
1: And. Be able to anticipate and prioritize, and that might need flexibility, but you will get so much from your team if they feel they matter and if they feel they're valued in the organization. So, depending on your natural leadership style, some degree of transparency between, look, this is what's happened to the trajectory of our business. This has gone well. This hasn't gone well. This is what I really need from you. What do you need from me to help you settle back in? And what, how regularly are we going to check in on this?
0: You speak to another uh, couple of related points there, actually, that it's very easy for the for the business owner who's been in the business, who's been working on the business over the course of the last 15 months to lose track about how things have progressed compared to those individuals that have been either working from home or being on furlough. So there's that bit about checking in. What are the business objectives now? And as an individual, as a member of the team, what are those objectives for the individual now? So that everybody's on the same, brought up to speed, and and, and clear about what's expected of them. I think there may well be a tendency yeah. for some to just assume that they there's your death crack on, and they, they-
1: yeah it. I think that's such an important point. It's highly likely, isn't it? Most businesses will have had to Um, pivot in some capacity and may look entirely different in terms of their delivery style if we think about how people have needed to move to and just things like whether it's going to be a face-to-face or a Zoom meeting for our usual debrief or the travel that's involved. Some people might come back with huge assumptions. So just an information sharing, information gathering exercise is going to be highly useful from the outset. And Uh then you can address company values and culture. And again, if you're modeling that, if you're clear yourself on what your ethos and mission statement are, the more invested, of course, that your team are within that same mission statement, the more likely it is you're going to get similar choice points and decision making without needing to be very directive or controlling of your team. Trust them to do the best quality that they can do. Don't micromanage there are ways to pass over that responsibility that actually make people feel highly valued and will give you 110, 120% effort as opposed to coming in too strong, too quickly. None of us like that.
0: So let's just probe that a little bit then about well, how, build on the point you made about um, you're gonna get more from your team if they feel that they matter. Yeah. Um, so how could, what do you recommend of ways of conveying that individuals matter but also help them get really engaged around the values of the business?
1: Very good question. And I would be checking with the team what they are thinking about the, what they understand to be the business's objectives. And like Mm. you say, there might need to be a a checking in of that because there's, there's a reality. There's a a lovely little tit bit. I can't remember quite where I got it from, but in terms of good use of time and time management, how you order your day, we will feel that we are doing the best possible job that we can if two conditions are met. One is that we're working towards an important life goal. So if we feel we're making productive progress, we're not restricted or held back in any way, we will feel we've had a very productive use of time. The second condition is, is it enjoyable and fun? We will put huge amounts of time into things as human beings if we feel it's taking us closer to our personal values and goals, and if it's fun and enjoyable. And then anything that doesn't fit into those two categories feels like you're wasting time, you're frustrated, you're not able to progress as you wish to. So you need to align what the company values are to individuals in your in your team in terms of what their value and contribution is to that they really at the end of the day will not care as much about the business objectives as the owner of the business that's just a fundamental truth they may have options to go elsewhere or may have their own thoughts about it so how do you make people invested in their role and what they're doing you really make it clear as to what their contribution adds to the delivery of the outcome like we really need you for this this is the part that that you are absolutely indispensable for but there might be tasks that you're doing that feel frustrating repetitive or out with your job plan tell me about those so that we can reallocate them and give you the best opportunity to enjoy what you're doing and feel invested in it
0: I, mean, I think I think there's a build on that as well, because I was reflecting, uh, you said you need to make it clear for their contribution towards the outcome. Yeah. I see regularly the behaviour of when an individual has contributed, I've made a, a very good contribution towards an outcome, they're looking for a validation, they're looking for acknowledgement.
1: Of course, absolutely. And what is the issue with regular validation and praise? We f- sometimes feel, I think, particularly in british culture that there can be a tendency of not bigging people up too much or not being yeah. too full of your boots and yeah. i hear i hear that on one level but actually do we know what is the greatest predictor of repeated behavior if you're looking for a child for example to repeat a behavior if you praise and reward that behavior we're not we are mammals at the end of the day we we work on reinforcement you will get that behavior repeated if you want to change a behaviour, punishing it or having a consequence to it is just simply less effective. And there's times when punishment or consequences are necessary to learn a lesson or to adjust behaviour. But if you want repeated behaviour, praise and validate. And it has to be genuine, of course. You're not going to say things that are just throw away. And it needs to be personal and specific. These general messages that come out from an organisation – and I've worked in the NHS for many years, so I absolutely can relate to this. Saying thank you to all staff for your contribution—it's meaningless yeah. unless it's it's specific and personable to that person. Because we can see right through it, can't we, yeah. as employees?
0: Yeah. Our people are our greatest asset. <laughs> Well, well, show
1: me. Yeah, show me. And and there is not a not a huge amount of time is needed. If someone does a fantastic job, and sometimes it just runs through your head. I'm so pleased they they got that contract, or I'm so pleased that they generated that lead for us. Tell your member of the team that was just a great piece of work. They will be delighted with that, and they will work doubly hard for you next time.
0: And I'm thinking about the psychology of uh, and and the behavioural patterns of a lot of these entrepreneurs who are very driven they're so busy focused on where next where's the next kind of like hill to climb the next objective it's almost yet yeah, an objective is achieved by the team nod move on instead of pause acknowledge praise And then move on, you know, a mini celebration.
1: I I was just about to say that actually. That is exactly the word celebrate. Just pause, pat yourself on the back as a team. And I have to say, I've moved from being a sole business owner with a sort of administration support to being a team of 16 plus now because I loved that aspect as much as anything. When something goes well, the ability to celebrate as a team is so connecting as we said last time, we're all social beings. There's something incredibly motivating and powerful about celebrating together, even if that means marking it with a meal together or any other social event that is marking that milestone. It means you're on a shared journey. It's meaningful then. It matters then, as opposed to just tick, move on. And how many of us have produced pieces of work on request or through a previous objective that then gets dismissed or looked over because the move. The issues moved on. And without the acknowledgement of the work and the effort that's gone into that, you're really at risk of demotivating your team because they think, well, past behavior predicts future behavior. So what if I work for eight hours on this and you're going to do the same thing next time? And so if you do change objective, again, it's really good communication. We think we're good communicators and we can dive into this a lot deeper now in terms of how you do it. But actually, as a psychologist, 90% 90% of the unpicking of things that happen is about bad communication, That's really.
0: True. And the meaning that we associate to the communication that we receive. Yeah. I want to bring out an extra point about the importance of celebration. Entrepreneurs are driven people, Pre. Disposed, pre-programmed to be thinking, "Where's next?" As soon as you achieve one goal, before you've even achieved it, looking at the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the thrill of the chase—that's the drive. That's the thing that fires the fuel in your belly and keeps you, you know, working late and getting out of bed early. You want the next challenge. Now, you know, so you've got the adrenaline of anticipation, but you've also got to recognise that not everybody in your organization has that same drive for the next challenge or that same striving personality type. Remember, everybody wants to feel a part of something. They want to feel a sense of belonging. And one of the crucial components to feel whether you belong somewhere is do you feel valued? Do you feel recognized? Do you feel that your work is not validated, but appreciated? So I talked a minute ago, a moment ago, about this idea about the adrenaline of anticipation that you have. There's also the adrenaline of celebration. And that's an important part of the team bonding process. It's an important part of human beings as social tribal creatures connecting and bonding and therefore in time building that trust so that they work together more hand in glove in a a more seamless and efficient way but also so you get those high performing team behaviors that we know well are crucial to ongoing performance and sustained growth and innovation. So when you are constantly striving for more you know, there's an, an analogy or a, or an idea that um, a, a diagram I'll try and describe with you that I saw earlier in my career, and that's the that's the um, chief exec, the entrepreneur, the founder of the business. He's like climbing this mountaintop, this alpine mountain, and he's got his ice hacks and he's got his crampons and he's got his um, climbing rope and he's you know knocking in the belays into the into the side of the ice face. Sorry if I'm not getting all my terminology quite right. And he or she is storming ahead and behind, coming up from base camp, are members of the team. And, you know, they started off later because they didn't start with a vision in the head, the CEO was always some way ahead because they'd envisage where they were going. So they, metaphorically, in their head, they were some way up this mountain, even before they took the first steps. And they started you know, putting the ball in motion or started climbing the way up the mountain before the first team from base camp had got <laughs> suited and booted with all the climbing gear. Already, if, you, if the CEO's not careful, if the founder's not careful, they've summited the top and off around the other side. And importantly their team have lost sight of them because they've gone over the summit and this is part of what this uh, ce- um, adrenaline of celebrations about you keeping that connection with yes, you. It's your job as the leader, your job as the entrepreneur, as the visionary to see where things are going out. Have that, you know, long term view. Climbing, changing my metaphors, climbing to the, uh, to the top of the tree in the forest and in, in, in the rainforest and seeing where you need to head. But you've got to keep the rest of the crew with you, the, the rest of the climbing party, insight engaged, and and, and and still motivated and still bringing them along. So it's not necessarily a team night out, although that's a massively important, and I would argue you should be doing that once a quarter, but it's something as simple as a, a team powwow, a, perfect, a, a personal acknowledgement to somebody thank you. Really appreciate what you've done there. And to the team, because you want to reward and encourage team behaviours. Thank you. Great job. This is what we've learned. And this is why I'm delighted in what we've done. Come on, let's go off together to the next summit. We're not talking, what could that look like? Yes, it could look like a team night out, but we're not talking about that for every success in the business, are we? It could just be a thank you uh, yeah. part heartfelt like acknowledgement and um, providing feedback on the specifics of what an individual did well that contributed to the results.
1: I think that's absolutely right. Again, we don't want to detract anything from the business's success and cash flow and revenue will be so important right now. We're not talking about spending on the team necessarily or doing something that is, because again, people f- see through that as well. What is much more meaningful is some communication about i value you and you matter to this organization and um you can do that through multiple ways but i think what you just highlighted about making it personable and specific to that person so it was because of the manner in which you communicated with that referrer is probably why we got that contract that was great is that something you could teach other team members to do because i think you're particularly skilled at that and one one area that I've learned as a very steep learning curve, and I think this is true when you listen to other podcasts talking about the personality of entrepreneurs, where a certain group of people that lead from the front or develop new creative ideas there's a certain level of risk taking that comes into that and acknowledging that the team members are not the same personality type or will be be involved in the organization for a variety of different reasons that there'll be aspects of the leader that are very valuable towards the organization but aspects of ourselves that are less useful as well i'm not i'm an ideas person but i'm not a great completer I'm not great with the paperwork. So having people in our organisation that can do that and again, either recruiting or selecting them for that, but recognising that aspect and going, right, I recognise you're good at this. Can I give you more of that? But also tell me what you notice I'm less (laughs) able to do effectively, or you think you could pick up on that. And it allows all of us to be our authentic selves then, which is a lot less energetic than having to put on a a face or assume that we can do everything, which we absolutely cannot.
0: And that's such a good point that we have to, about the power of being our authentic selves. Um, What I think helps that um, become... A productive relationship is when we can understand the differences and value the differences. So in some teams you see, you know, it's very, very, very common that the, the entrepreneur, the leader is the creative person that's bringing a new idea, a new product yes. or service to the market, but they're terrible to finishers, and that's <laughs> very popular, very very, very very, common. But those that are to finishers could get very frustrated. So I think this comes down to your other point about how we engage in that conversation, how we can be understood because if so many of the things that you're unpicking in your therapeutic work is about a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation. Yeah. The working environment of course is is rife for that to to go wrong.
1: Absolutely full of it. Yeah. We're making us, uh, and I think that's, probably what a lot of the principles around good communication are, is we're making too many assumptions and we're not checking in enough. And as we've said already, this is not about a huge amount of time or having huge therapeutic debrief moments with your team. You don't want to get too personal with them. You want to have that protective boundary. However, we have to face the facts going back to what we spoke about last time about human psychology and we are creatures of habit and we are driven by our biological processes and the need to feel safe in connection therefore it is just reality that we will project things onto others regularly and that is absolutely based on our own personal histories And this is nothing to do with level of trauma or things that we've been through previously. Whatever we've been through, our brains are very quick to make associations. So we will assume that others will treat us in the same way that people in the past have treated us. So there are ways to be aware of that. And there are ways to pick up on on your own personal triggers or notice that in your colleagues that will then dictate the level of kind of communication that happens next.
0: Uh, yes, you, I'm reminded when you're talking actually that sometimes individuals' behavioural responses in the workplace can stem from some traumatic things that have happened in the past in their life. So um, I remember working with a client and um, it was a member of their team that when provided any feedback for opportunities opportunity to improve or whether there was any challenge in a debate, this individual would recoil Yeah, and would would I'm on I'm on camera talking on Zoom to Mel here, but obviously you're listening to me, so I'm holding my hands up and I'm crossing them across my chest because this was the response of this individual, and people just thought, "Why is she recalling? Recoiling? Why is she not listening?" Mm. And one of the things I was taught early in my kind of NLP work was that in any one moment, a person's behaviour is the right response for them yes yes let's ask the question if that behavior is the right response for them what must be going on in their world for that to be the right response yes that puts me in their shoes and i'm looking literally and listening and watching literally at this lady's behavior and she is recoiling like this and um what would make me do that well i'm protecting myself it was like she was backing into the corner from some physical threat yes she was regularly regularly bullied at school that what happened yeah now I, I had had not not know any at your level but I, I had some awareness and, and the sensory acuity to be able to spot that and be curious and it wasn't then my role or indeed my professional background to unpick that yeah but, to, but what I could do is provide empathy and to help create a new meaning that a challenge in the workplace did not equal a physical threat that she'd experienced genuinely at school she'd, she'd had a she'd had a physical disability and um, she she it can be cool, can not they in the playground? And they can uh, oh they gosh, can be yeah. And the and and there was bullying that was going on. So she had she had this re- with her right the way through from from being a child at school. But that that association that she created, challenge at school meant physical threat to my to my health. Challenge at work, she interpreted meaning the same thing, and it didn't. It was a it was a robust challenge, or it was some feedback about where she might need to improve.
1: Yes, um. There's a few ideas I've got running through my head as you talk about this. Firstly, the way that you respond to it is incredibly helpful. So this just being curious is a fantastic trait. I think you're absolutely right about the boundaries. You're not going to dig right into somebody's history in that moment and say, clearly you're recoiling what's happened to you. Like that is far too dysregulating and the person will instantly become defensive to that. Rightly so. But but going back to this principle, all behavior is communication. What has happened in the past that has led to this? Just being curious about that with others gives you an incredible amount of information. And then what you choose to do on that information has to be a collaborative effort. And there's there's ways that you can do this very sensitively. So the idea of just actively listening and noticing and not over-interpreting. So you spoke about that absolute physical recoil and protection of self. Now, the vast majority of times when we get angry or defensive is because we've perceived threat. And the the problem that we have is people will look at the current situation and say, well, this isn't threatening. I'm just telling you some feedback or I'm feeding back to you something you're being oversensitive to this. But if you had any idea of what that person has been through you would have a completely different it's like the tip of the iceberg isn't it if you knew the full weight of what has that person has experienced you would have a very different reaction to them therefore having just a series of questions that you can go through just around absolute focused attention and saying things like just let me Check if I understand you correctly once they've spoken to you that you've really got the issue clear before we jump in with our feedback. And say what you... I, this is my uh, moment when I talk about catchphrase, say what you see. So this is <laughs> for anyone, anyone that is British will, uh, will be aware of uh, the famous TV program catchphrase. It is, it is literally the observation bit. We don't want yeah. to be too directive yeah. again, but just, it's interesting. I notice when we're having these conversations, it feels difficult for you. Um, and again, just giving them that space to pause and share what they want to in that moment. But the, When someone has a very strong reaction to feedback or gets highly defensive, and we know lots of people that will do this, and we all have our buttons, of course we do. Um, So there, there can be a lot of personal journey. I think if leaders do their own personal work, either through coaching or their own personal therapy, that is hugely beneficial because if you know your own buttons, you're going to spot it in others quicker too, and you're going to know how to respond to that. But really, we are... In a situation where the threat is relationship threat it's person to person so for that individual that you described there's lots of alarm bells ringing about personal threat of others giving feedback that are is deeply threatening or it could be then to be in a position of vulnerability led to actual physical harm Or mental abuse of some kind. So, actually, a feedback which sounds neutral will be perceived by that individual's nervous system as attack and criticism. That is highly dangerous to their functioning. So, some of the ways that we say things with, and that's not because of how it was said, because I think that can so often get the course of an argument going. Well, I didn't say it like that, or I didn't mean it like that. But you have to respect that the other person will interpret your behavior through their historic lens. And Mm -hmm. all you can do is be curious about it. So
0: what if you, as a a leader, have inadvertently triggered something in a member of your team or said something that they've interpreted in a different way to what you would have expected them to do, and they're having an emotional response, um, whether that could be you know, they've been defensive. They've been angry. They've been we switched off. They've been ambivalent, or, or, or they're emotionally upset. If you if you've inadvertently triggered something as a as a as a manager as a leader, what advice would you do? Would you give of things that they can do in that situation?
1: Very good question. And I think there are two core ideas here that will give people a f- an actual framework for what to do. So is it okay if we go a bit deeper into this communication style? Because to be able to describe what you do in each situation is based on these core principles. So the first one that people may have come across before is I'm okay, you're okay, which is a transactional analysis concept by the traditional original book by Thomas Harris, many moons ago. (laughs) I say that I'm probably not that old. Um, That, We are trying to, if we think about any form of communication, there are four key styles that we all fall into. So, if you and I had a conversation today or we were feeding back information to one another, we could fall, either of us could fall into four main styles. Now, these terms you will have absolutely heard of before and people may have been on significant amount of training around assertiveness. But let's really define assertiveness from a psychological perspective. And I find this, I've got a way of thinking about it that we did a lot um, through our sort of trainings in psychology to just give it a quick, handy way to remember, which is the I'm okay, you're okay part. So if we think about a spectrum of aggression through to passive behavior, you get aggressive behavior, assertive is the middle ground and that's often the case in psychology that the balance the middle ground place is probably the healthiest area not Mm -hmm. too extreme and if you were to draw a grid with just four quadrants and in the top left quadrant we've got aggressive behavior then if I am if I'm, I'm being aggressive towards you, Gavin, what would be your gut instinct as how I would be reacting to you that would make it come across that I was being aggressive? What are the kind of things that we all say and do when it uh, feels like okay, so we're crossing would, a line?
0: There would be a, obviously a change in your tone of voice and the volume of your tone of voice, probably. There would certainly be um, your your face would would suggest to me that you were frustrated. So there would be probably a furrowing of brow, a hardening around the eyes, maybe some flushing in the cheeks. There'd be some, some degree. And then, oh yes, that's another point. Your breathing would be higher up. So your breathing would be shallow and higher up rather than deep diaphragmatic breathing.
1: I love the fact that you've picked up on all the physical stuff because most people don't do that. Most people go through, yeah, you'd be shouting at me or you'd be coming at me with fists as well. But yes, or you'd be swearing, like the content of what you say would be of a level of disrespect towards the other. But it's very much about the physicality of this as well. So someone who's been aggressive to another, there's a misbalance in terms of coming towards so that the aggressor is in a place of coming towards the person that they're talking to, that could be physical coming towards in terms of threatening of violence or verbal abuse. But actually, just from the person's perception, there's a sense of being on the back foot or in a defensive position. Now, the fundamental problem with that is I feel that I'm in the okay position as the aggressive person, but I'm putting you purely through the tone of my voice, the style of my delivery of my message um, into a place of being not okay. So that is why every time there is an aggressive situation, it's not helpful to communication because I'm okay, but I'm putting you in the not okay position. And we have to take responsibility for there's a two-way thing going on. We'll talk about later when people put themselves in the not okay position. But as an aggressor, we all do it, don't we? When we lose our temper or raise our voices or are more aggressive than we want to be, it's quite common to feel guilty afterwards because you know you've overstepped the mark. And there's just been a level of disrespect there. And... That is quite a quick and ready way to notice if someone's been aggressive to you, if you don't feel okay in relation Mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. It's probably the case that we're having an aggressive kind of communication here. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that one or other of us will do that all the time. Every single person has the the potential to do this. then if you flip to the complete other end of the spectrum, we have passive behavior. And I think in the workplace, people get incredibly frustrated with passive behavior. And when I did do my corporate coaching sessions, it was this kind of behavior in relation to giving feedback to, to individuals that actually the, the management team were most curious to learn how to manage better. Yes,
0: my experience because too
1: yeah because it's incredibly frustrating to deal with someone that's in a passive place yes. but let's pick this apart what's happening there so if someone's been passive again what what would be the quality or traits if if you were talking to me and i was being very passive what would you notice again physically or through my tone of voice and my behavior.
0: I just want to double check my understanding. Is there a difference between being passive and ambivalent?
1: I think ambivalence part of being if, if passive is the umbrella term, yeah. ambivalence will ab- absolutely be part of passive behavior, probably.
0: So, so in answer to your question, they're quiet, they're not they yes. that they they, they, they uh, their eyes are a bit more glazed because they're in th- processing in their head, but they're not necessarily articulating it. Quite often, you'll see the hand going over the mouth, which is an indication that they're talking internally, but they're not letting it out. Um, they body language. When you said before that somebody would be coming towards you, could be coming towards you physically. They're sat Good. more back.
1: Yeah, the shoulders yeah. Are,
0: are down, so they are shrinking away and making themselves smaller within yes. with, with respect. And um, the answers, when when asked a direct question, are just yes, no. You know, I I don't know.
1: Yeah. Or whatever you think. Yeah. 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 You you, you don't get any give back, do you? When you push against a passive, I've got my two hands holding up here. When you push back, there's a retreating sense with passiveness. So we talk about things with passive behavior. And again, we can all be there. Absolutely. Depending on where the other is, we can be sort of more submissive, overly apologetic, ambivalent or a sense of not really caring but it comes with a quality of lacking in confidence as well or a quality of lack of assertion there's a backing away um and we often get people in the moaning complaining place when they're in a passive place that sense of i can never get it right or it's all my fault so we the the issue with passive behavior is if i'm the passive person i'm not okay but you're okay so mm-hmm. it's the it's the flip of aggression. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is if you're treating me badly or being too demanding or controlling of me, I will accept it as well in the passive place. I will not stand back up and be assertive in response. So that's fundamentally why aggression. I'm OK. You're not OK. And passive behavior. I'm not OK. But you are are Really, not help, helpful at both ends of the spectrum. And a lot of the time, people will put themselves in the passive position without really recognizing it. So often, when people say, Oh, it's fine. I'm totally happy to be there, Mel. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't like confrontation. I'll, uh, there's, it's really quite quick to get to a sense of, But are you okay? Are you happy here? Well, no, I'm really not, because you don't seem happy in the submissive place. Who would be? Often, we go there to avoid conflict we go there because we, we think the other person's going to be more harmful to us or more powerful to us. So we lack the confidence to set forward. Now, as bad as aggression and passive as a general way of communicating are, there is one that is even worse. So on, on my quadrants, I have the top left as aggression, the bottom left as passive, the top right though, is Mm passive-aggressive or indirect aggression. And this is a term that loads of people have heard about. But if you ask someone to define, okay, what is passive-aggressive? It's quite difficult, but we get passive-aggressive all over the place, in the workplace, and very often at home as well. And if you just substitute passive with indirect, what we're talking about is indirect aggression, So that's sarcasm. That is guilt-inducing behaviour, sort of really dropping in little unhelpful or nasty comments to people, trying to be jokey but in a manipulative way. And the way that you can hear that it's passive-aggressive is actually a a real disconnect between what is said in terms of the content. And then the body language and the tone of voice, there are absolute opposites. So the problem with passive aggressive behavior, it is absolutely mixed messages. So you ask me, how am I doing? And I go, I'm fine, Gavin. Nothing's a problem (laughs) at all here. You actually hear my words as I'm fine. But clearly and of course what is it 90 odd percent of our behavior is non-verbal or of the real communication you know i'm absolutely not fine but you are left in a horrific position because if you say are you sure (laughs) you don't sound fine um, i might snap back again so the problem with mixed messages is the other person is deeply confused as to Mm. how to respond And we do it because we get in little digs. We think it's a clever way to communicate because it's not being aggressive. I'm saying it quietly, perhaps, or I'm saying it through gritted teeth, or I'm saying it by making a joke about you. But it's unhelpful because it's not direct. It's open to huge amounts of misinterpretation. And you get it all the time in in meetings. We do. All the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you see it in social settings as well with other couples. that can be the, the, those sort of uh, sarcastic or, or remarks.
1: Yeah, it's the guilt-inducing. Oh, yeah, that's all right for you. You know, that yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's just not, if you actually really analyse it, it's just not direct and it's deeply deceptive. We all do it again. We'd all do all of these communication styles, but we do it when we're on the back foot. We want to get a point across, but we're not actually honest and brave enough to come forward with what we really want. And
0: is that coming back to you? I'm okay, um, you're okay, or I'm not okay. Does that come from a position of I'm not okay? Yes.
1: absolutely and this is why it's the least if i could say to your listeners to avoid any style of communication it's please avoid passive aggressive communication because you're putting both of the people in in the not okay position i'm clearly not okay in my communication because you've picked up on my body language but i'm putting you in the not okay position as well so it's gonna end badly yeah and what What's beautiful, yeah. Well, what's beautiful about number four is it's none of the other three. So it's I'm okay. You're okay. This is the real quality of assertiveness behavior and uh, asserting yourself and having this middle ground behavior. And many of us might have been on assertiveness training. And I find people very regularly misinterpret assertiveness as being overly confident or too forthcoming. By this definition, it's not that at all. It's mutual respect spoken in a timely way, deeply direct and deeply honest, very much a checking in with the other all of the time so if I've got something to say to you if I try and put myself in an okay position by regulating and coming forward with what I want to say but I'm deeply respectful of your position and your opinion but I'm not going to back down but I'm not going to force it upon you either it's very easy for us to have a conversation it feels very easy you know where each other stands and if we can aim for assertive communication most of the time that's exactly what I'd recommend when you're talking about how you would respond to certain workers who you might have accidentally triggered something you come from an assertive place you say i'm noticing this how are you doing let's let's see what's just happened here And sticking to I language is very useful. I feel I'm noticing because what we tend to do in the other styles of communication, particularly if there's a disagreement, will very quickly jump to you. Well, you didn't do that and you are doing this to me. And the word you gets a lot of defensiveness reaction because actually I have no right to say you made me feel that way That is is not actually true. I responded to something that you did. That is my responsibility. So an assertive individual is very easy to communicate with, but it takes a huge amount of self-awareness and ability to regulate. And and the, the one quality of assertiveness I think most of us skip is the honesty bit. If you are in a I'm okay, you're okay place, you can actually communicate a huge amount of information, including bad news, including very distressing information, because you're doing it from a mutually respectful place. And people will feel that from you and respond accordingly.
0: What we're talking about here, that in order to create a high-performing organisation, one based on mutual trust, where people are operating as mature adult-to-adult individuals, you need to have a high level of awareness and a high level of self-awareness where you are intentional about the behavior and how you engage with people in order to create that strength of trust in your business working relationships with individuals and within the team. And one of the tools that I find really helpful is this idea about first person, second person and um, sort of, uh, yeah, first person and second person. The first person is you're sat there in your own, sort of own body, looking out through your own eyes, that's you in the moment, in the conversation. The second person is as if you were the camera on the wall, you're the CCTV camera on the wall, as an impartial external observer, watching the interaction between you and the team members, or the you and the individual. This is something when I'm like facilitating teams and groups. I'm, I'm I'm very capable of sitting out. That's my role, and I switch into that second person very regularly to check into what's the dynamic, what's the dance that's going on between the people, what's the unspoken in the behavioral interactions, the body language is, and the energy in the room other than the spoken interaction that's going on between the two people. So I've, like my brain, my sort of what are you if you like, still and I, involved in the conversation with the group and the individuals while this other person, jump, this other part of my brain jumps out, fly on the wall, the camera observing and ask the questions what's the dance here what's the dynamic what's the interaction another useful thing you can do when as a as a leader and you're wanting to create the right team environment or the, or the, say the right things is be clear at the outset what's my intention what's the outcome i want to achieve from this you know a perfect example is giving somebody some piece of feedback to help improve their performance The outcome you want is them to leave the conversation, acknowledging the feedback, and with the desire and the motivation to go on and make changes, to make improvements. Any interaction, even if it's those so-called, I hate the phrase, difficult conversation, because if you're going to label it difficult before it starts, it is going to be difficult. You know, My point here is, I want this to be a productive conversation. I want this to be a meaningful conversation. I want this to be... A conversation with purpose where we really connect and address the core of the issue. You know, we don't have to dance around the handbags here, we're going to hit the core of the issue. I, I don't want this to sound as if we're doing psychological mumbo jumbo. Hey, you've got a business to run, you know, deals to make, products to deliver, customers and prospects to wow. You're going deep on mumbo jumbo. No, I'm talking about mastery of your art of leading, influencing and engaging people. Because without that, whether those people be those that you employ, whether they be freelancers, whether they be your supply chain or whether they be uh, stakeholders or indeed customers, unless you can build that solid Genuine relationship where you are clear in your communication, relating human being to human being, empathetic about the needs and challenges of others, you're going to find it very, very difficult to retain staff, to attract team members, and to maximize lifetime customer value. And I'm purposefully making a link for you developing and your teams developing high competence in these behaviors. And the bottom line of your pay account and the growth of your balance sheets. But as a, as a business owner, as a leader, you've got to create the environment where it's safe to have such candid and honest conversations. Yeah. You know, I've many a, a intervention I've done with senior management teams and boards of directors has actually, uh, it's hard being about creating the I'm okay, you're okay conversation. Yeah. There's so many of the conversations that will take, around the senior management team table, the board table, are superficial. They are saying what is believed to be the right thing that wants to be heard or said rather than, no, and then, oh, sorry, I missed a piece out. And then the real conversation takes place on the walk down the corridor after the meeting or at the water cooler.
1: Yes, Gavin, that's where the honest conversation happens. That's
0: where the honest conversation happens. So, you know, it's people like you and I that will be called in to be able to facilitate the real and honest conversation and almost train that level of behaviour that it is actually OK and indeed essential for high performance that we have those candid conversations. And what's more, we're not always going to agree and have some some uh, creative disagreement and can move a business or or a team forward.
1: I- oh absolutely if you think about um, I think is it rebel ideas by Matthew Sayed? is a fantastic oh, yeah, book yeah. about yeah, yeah, the yeah. diverse if This goes absolutely back to what we're saying at the beginning about having a culture and a value system in your organisation. If you value diversity of opinion, then you're going to invite feedback that is not. And we're going to get into very difficult positions as a business if we're all thinking the same way or no one's challenging anything that's happening. You're going to miss so many opportunities. So there's. The, the problem that most of us have, and this is because of the dysregulation part as well, and missing the, dis, the regulating and then missing the, the relating bit and getting straight to the reasoning, getting straight to the opinion, is a lot of us are very poor listeners. We, say, we often do it in our CVs or in our resumes, don't we? Fantastic listening skills or a team that really listens to each other. But to truly listen, you have to not talk. And you have to allow a period of time for what the person's saying to be digested and feedback. And I, if you think about customer service, if you've got a, a, an angry or somebody who's very dissatisfied, one of the best things that you can do is absolutely validate where they're coming from before you get into any of the detail about whether they're right or wrong. So many of us want to get straight to that bit of my opinion versus your opinion. And if you just validate, name the feeling that what you're saying matters, because all customer feedback matters. I had terrible customer service at the weekend and all I could do is sit and smile about it because I can see exactly what that person did in a passive aggressive way to kind of put me down In, in when I was the customer to them. And I'm not going back there again because of that. And it was quite simple. It was absolutely miscommunication that occurred. So a really good thing to do if someone's in a distressed or a dysregulated place is you you ask them to tell you what it is that's going on and you listen first. So this is some of the corporate coaching that we did before as well would be when you've got an issue with, with somebody, let them explain their side first and listen to what they have to say because most people will talk themselves out of it not not in terms of changing their mind but once they've talked enough the emotion regulates they've they've got an out of the flight and fight position and they're just in a position of communicating across but if you talk to them in a place of anger or distress they are not going to hear what you've got to say so the assertive place guarantees a lot more likely to happen that the person's going to listen to your feedback if you've let them say what they want to say first then you offer them the reflective summary so x if i get this correct what you're saying to me is pause let them say no no no, you've got that wrong actually it's this that i'm really saying then once you said right so you're telling me this is why you did it and this is what the reason that you did it and this is what you want to be the outcome Is it okay with you if I now tell you what I think about this? So getting people's permission to say your opinion is really effective because they were then tuned in. Because again, you matter enough that you're checking with them that that is something that they're in a position to absorb what you've got to say. And if I really listen to you, feedback what you've just told me, then ask your permission to feedback what I want to say. You're really going to listen to me. In a way that you wouldn't if I just came and told you what was wrong in the first
0: instance. Um, I, I'm nodding in absolute agreement. My question is back to that um, passive aggressive or you being in the what if you're in an individual or receiving some feedback from a dysregulated boss and you want to be able to move the conversation to the assertive, I'm okay, you're okay. You want to have that honest, direct conversation. And it's how. Okay. How can you, as an employee, open that up and engage that with someone who, you know, with that hierarchical yeah. power, um, hasn't created the environment yet for that open and honest conversation?
1: That's a very good question because a lot of people will be in that position, won't they? When they yep. recognise it's actually someone in position of power whose behaviour or communication style is actually the unhelpful place, yep. and there are <laughs> there are. Truths about the higher up in a corporation you are, there's a certain personality type that might come with that as well about your Mm -hmm. ability to hear certain things. So, if we go back to these principles of I'm okay, you're okay, if you're recognizing the other person's in the not okay position because they're being aggressive to you, then naming it, but asking their permission to revisit the conversation at a regulated time is a really good idea. So what you can say is something I can see this is really important to you. I can hear that what you're telling me right now really matters. I'm wondering whether we would be better to have this conversation tomorrow or let me go away and digest what you've just said can i come back to you tomorrow with my feedback please because i've i've got to think about it but i really have got some things i want to put across so again just acknowledging the situation but i would say to people if you're in an assertive place it's absolutely okay and highly appropriate to walk away from a conversation if the person's dysregulated or or if the person's shifted to aggression or passive aggression a really helpful thing to do in a place of assertiveness is to say i hear this really matters to you i'm not in or i'm not prepared to continue this conversation at this point in time the way that this is going therefore can i come back to you with my thoughts at another point in time so you you take the responsibility to say i'm actively stepping away from this but i really want to revisit this you don't let it drop but you are it's absolutely okay to not be subjected to aggressive behavior
0: and you're acknowledging the issue the point that they're raising. absolutely yeah so you're not dismissing it you're not ignoring it you're just um sort of managing the situation so you go back at a time where both parties are calmer and therefore you can have that that i'm okay you're okay that honest candid open balanced conversation
1: Absolutely. You're acknowledging it. You're not letting it drop, but you are respecting yourself. What a lot of us do is fall into the passive place and get apologetic or walk away in a kind of submissive place rather than saying, I don't feel this is appropriate for you to talk to me like this. So what I'm going to do, especially if it's outright aggression, or if it's in a meeting, you know, it's really important to challenge disrespectful behavior and hope that other people will have your back on that. Because again, as a leader, if you model it, or if there's ever a time when you cross the line, if you can apologise and model that this is—it—it's it, just not acceptable for us to be in a um, in a place of feeling not okay because of another person's position, and we can do it without getting aggressive back either. But a really powerful thing to do is to say nothing. A really powerful thing is to stand your ground, make sure you maintain your posture, keep your eye contact. Not backing down, but not say anything, wait till they finished and say, Is there anything else you want to add to what you've just said? Because I'm listening. Let them finish. Wow. People talk their way out of it. Again, not
0: wow. that's so it's
1: incredibly powerful just to stay uh- and people will notice that and will regulate themselves. You are offering them the co-regulation opportunity there.
0: What other tips would you give to someone to help them stay in regulation, to stay calm? when they're literally standing in the face of potentially some verbal aggression or some direct feedback that you might feel is a little bit um, uh, threatening or a bit over the top.
1: So there's two ideas I have about that. Firstly, to go back to knowing that when you're dysregulated, your nervous system has moved to a place of threat mode, so you will be in fight and flight. Your heart rate will be going quicker, and you'll want to either attack back or run or shut down if it's a really awful situation. So to regulate your breathing is the most powerful thing you can do. And I can think of many situations when I've been with a distressed other or an angry other through, I would hasten to add through a work setting, not necessarily because I've instigated it as such, that um, to just focus on your own breathing is highly regulating. Because when I do, if if you're with another who's anxious and you slow down your breathing, they will model that unconsciously and slow it down too. If I raise to the level of aggression or the flight and fight response, we'll just both escalate each other. So as a very practical thing, and it's okay to almost slightly switch off from what they're saying and get back to your own thoughts of just mm. breathe, whatever mantra you need, mm-hmm. especially the higher the emotional state, the more you'll need to do this. Mm-hmm. Just allow yourself through a few mantras, keep your palms open, Don't you know? notice if you're tensing, mm-hmm. actively, yeah, yeah. actively yeah. allow any tension in your body because what you're doing there is you're doing top-down feedback. Everything's coming bottom-up there. Your nervous system is saying, threat, 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 and you're saying, we're all right. We're okay team, actually, but if I physically um move my shoulders or regulate in that way, yeah,
0: when um we're getting heightened you know in that fight or flight, the flow of the energy is upwards, so yes. the that the the blood flow with energy upwards to kind of like pump those shoulders or to pump you know the arms uh, et cetera. The phrase calm down comes from literally the flow is going downwards. If you want to calm your state down, you just feel that progressive relaxation. So just what you were saying there, that I was just picturing the, um, the dynamic between two people. If the one person that's on the receiving end can say to themselves, breathe and consciously relax their shoulders and calm down, they are less of a threat in response.
1: That's such a good point. Absolutely. Because there's a lot when the person's in an aggressive or a distressing place, they're not okay. And they are seeing you at some level of threat. So you're modeling, I'm not threatening to you right now. I'm really not at a physical level. And I've known myself with through my own supervision help and through what I teach my team as well to literally readjust the position you're sitting in the chair sometimes to sit back oh, okay. a bit okay. and to, that so much yeah, yeah. of our interventions can be nonverbal and it makes a huge difference and because what you're saying about calm down is absolutely so crucial there's an element of um, there's a therapy called dbt dialectic behavior therapy that absolutely talks about allowing people to cool themselves so if you're in a state of rising fight and flight as well to literally cool yourself down take off your jacket say expose your wrists there's something phenomenal about exposing like holding what i mean by that is having your hands down at your side but pull putting your wrists forward because in the animal kingdom that's a submissive state it's very difficult to stay angry or to stay highly emotion sort of regulated upwards, if your wrists are pointing outwards. It's just very difficult. That.
0: That's a gem. That's uh, I love that. Yeah. And
1: also the other person who say, "Well, feedback. Look, I'm not frightened of you. I'm, I'm exposing my wrists to you in some. Because if you think about the the, the alternative mm. to that is the gritted teeth. That's what the the chimpanzees in the animal kingdom do, don't they? To to, to indicate. Yeah that's the passive aggressive thing as well the gritted teeth communication so anything to just relax the tension in your jaw that the nervous system relaxation is going to be very important but there's an another concept that if we have time I can talk a little bit more about in terms of the parts work and this is this concept of we have multiple parts of ourselves and I can say more about this if we want to go in any deeper, but if you can get yourself in the position of, I'm responding to you from my core self, we can talk about what that involves, then actually that is an incredibly good way to regulate yourself as well as being aware of the nervous system impact.
0: I think that actually probably answers my next question, Mel, which is going to be, if you're um, on the receiving end and you're wanting to to say, stay assertive, stay okay. You breathing, you're calming down, you're cooling down. There's a fine line. I wouldn't I think there between going into not. Okay. To being, uh, unable to keep the presence the regulation in the face of aggression
1: yes and if you absolutely feel that you cannot be in that position as we've said before about ending the conversation authentically it is absolutely just fine to say i don't feel safe here or i'm not i'm not going to continue this conversation right now keep your boundary and leave that is absolutely appropriate if you i mean if someone's coming towards me aggressively it's completely fine for me to back away from that of course it is i'm keeping myself safe And you're keeping other people safe. Um, The key bit when you know you've fallen into the passive place, the not okay place is if you are, are again, not in a a level of mutual respect. So just if you maintain this idea of I'm okay, a fundamental level, I am not threatened by you and I'm not threatening to you. If you can maintain that, we can do that a lot with posture, but it, it is quite a practiced understanding of your, your own self in terms of the situations that would threaten you. But this is where the core self can be fantastic because you can invite parts of you that are running the show from other periods of your life to step back and allow your core energy to come through and when you're in core self you're calm you're connected you're regulated you're just interested in the other person and a way that I have learned to do it if I've been working with very strong personality types that can be triggered incredibly easily sometimes in very senior positions is if you're in a place of really being curious isn't that fascinating that when I said this they obviously this is an internal conversation you maybe not say out loud just yet but I've uh, I can think of a few individuals where I've just been so curious like just standing there thinking I can get some sense that this is not about this current interaction this is something that's happening for you and you actually get to a point of curiosity going what is going on here isn't that fascinating that I'm I'm coming at them with this question or I'm I'm not prepared to do what they want me to do. And they're now screaming at me. Like that's, that's interesting. Like that's not something that sh- would happen. It's a, sort of, if it's a disproportionate reaction, it's interesting to get curious about it. And no, it's not about you. That's the that's greatest key. message I can put across. It's key. not about you. So yeah. you don't have to take it defensively. That's, that's the, the th- greatest way to, Yeah.
0: One of the things i would often say to people when they're on the receiving end or they found um a bit of an outburst um difficult i think one of the things you said earlier on was allow the individual to have their say um get them allow them to say they're venting a bit
1: it's and- definitely that you're not you're not prepared to put up with abuse or anything but it's just let them finish their point because we've all got a point
0: and what i've fed back before is if in the moment when they are venting remember in that moment it's not about you
1: definitely yeah. definitely not about you it's about you represent someone in the past to them and they're not even aware of it
0: yeah 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 yeah. this is yeah. why
1: you can't jump to straight like hey i'm not your mother or hey i'm <laughs> i'm not your uh your your ex-partner however <laughs> you can be thinking that
0: yeah 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 so um i this this stuff is i find com- Completely fascinating. We could literally talk about it all day. And I know that some people listening will be equally fascinated, and others will be saying, "Hey, you're you're bordering on the uh, on the therapeutic here when if you're talking about people's past." So what we're basically saying, just as we're saying, keep calm, keep control, or as if you listen to the previous episode, we talked about keeping regulated. And if some, you want the optimum, you want to achieve. Is as two calm adults talking to each other, where you're both in a good place, having an honest, um, respectful, calm conversation.
1: Yeah, and I would I would take it further that this is excellent business. Like if you have built yeah. up, if you invest in this, if you build up trust in the the working relationships that you have with your team that you can trust them to go and build the connections and contacts that's going to give you the work. And you attend. we talk in our team about attending to the relationship. If you take this as an absolute, it's as important as your baseline um, ingoings and outgoings in terms of the financial picture. Because if you don't have anyone who's got your back or a team to rely on, you have no business.
0: Wow, what a gem. Yeah, this is as important as the ins and outs in your business, the cash in and out, or the and <laughs> loss in your business. If you've not got people in your business that have got each other's back, you've got no business. Wow, that's something to ponder on. And, you know, not only is it profound, but it's it's true. Without the people in your business, trusting each other, having open and candid and adult-to-adult grown-up conversations... You're never going to be able to sustain growth, profitable growth, sustain innovation and continue to be relevant to your customers.
1: So you, the the requirement to attend to this is going to give you a much more productive and I would argue um, sort of efficient, successful business in the long run. I, I can see I can't see many examples of that not being true. If we think to some very successful corporations, there's something that they've got there in their culture or value system that's allowed them that, that longevity versus companies that don't succeed in that way. So it's it's a wider investment. This this These are skills for life. And I hear that point as well, that we don't want to dig into people's past, and this is not about what everybody's been through. But there are ways of understanding these dynamics and how human beings interact together that is coming into much more of the business in the public domain. So there's an area of therapy called cognitive analytic therapy, which not a huge amount of people know about, but it's absolutely brilliant in terms of repeating relationship patterns. And there's a way in, in CAT, CAT, that you can map out organizational patterns and you can map out team dynamics. And there are part of the training when you do your CAT training is you learn how to do that organizationally as well as doing it with an individual's personal map. Because we're talking about we're talking about predictable behavior and that's hugely helpful for business. When I'm in this position or the business is coming from this position, where does that put our employees? our team members, or employees. I'm I'm waving my hands about in a kind of reciprocal relationship. This is all about intersubjectivity as well. We're not just a group of individuals. We are constantly influencing each other. So what is happening in the wider system is highly relevant as well as our individual psychologies. And you had an absolutely fantastic episode recently with it. Was it Maceo that talked about there was something in the language that that he was using as well that taps into this if if people have got covid or a political debate going on there's only so much of their physical attentional energy that can be given to certain situations that can be mapped out and thought about in a context of teams coming back from furlough and various other things that are happening there just being aware of the the capacity of individuals' attentions and knowing about it from a memory consolidation, this is not necessarily all about trauma. It's it's about being the most efficient you can be. There's certain types of these approaches can be used to enhance performance. If we think about sports psychology realm, um, Steve Peter's work on the, the chimp paradox yeah, yeah. Um, is Absolutely. That, that's utilized to get people to peak performance. And there's opportunities within some of the therapies. People may or may not have heard about EMDR, the eye movement mm-hmm. desensitization reprocessing thing. It's been in the press recently with uh, Prince Harry, actually, traditionally coming from a place of being able to resolve traumatic memories. But we can install a bit like NLP to a certain degree, but with different um, kind of contributing factors to it. You can template future scenarios where you can get your installation at a physical level that we are gonna perform to our peak potential in this situation. So I think the applicability of some of these concepts is so wide.
0: And I I love your point a couple of minutes ago about uh, it makes good business sense.
1: Well, that's how I run my business. Yes.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) And and I think there'll be people here listening will be absolutely fascinated by this conversation. And if you want to take a look at how you can improve the performance of your teams and the individuals within it, if you want to increase the level of respect and of open, candid conversation, I can, can't recommend anybody more than uh, Dr. Melanie Lee and her team at Trust Psychology to come into your business, whether that business is, you know, a, a blue chip corporate or whether it's a, it's a, a, a SME. So Mel, thank you so much for your time. You've been incredibly generous. We've done two full hour episodes. I hope those of you that are listening will go back and re-listen to both of these. It's sincerely, there is packed with so much powerful insight in both of the episodes. So I'd really, really encourage you to go back and listen again. And um, Melanie, if anybody wants to get hold of you and your team at Trust Psychology, how do they do that?
1: Yes, via our websites is a good way. So we're at www.trustpsychology.co.uk and trust-pain-management for all those um, individuals that have health issues that have an impact on their ability to to work or function as they would like to, including how occupational health and, and leaders help and support people with those chronic conditions as well. Um, But LinkedIn's a great thing. That's how you and I connected, Gavin. Like, actually, LinkedIn's great at the minute. So Dr. Melanie Lee and our colleagues, Dr. Alan Bowman and Sonia Porritt and Dr. Hannah Barraclough, we're all there. Um, So please connect with us there and we can start the conversation. But I really appreciate your comments, Gavin. That's very kind of you. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. So um, listen out to further episodes in this series on Revive, where equally we're going to go into depth on further subjects, such as leadership and uh, a fascinating subject uh, about sleep and how you can get the right amount of sleep for you in your business. Dr. Lee. once again, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Gavin, take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Business Mastermind Podcast with myself, Gavin Preston. You know, we love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Like, review and subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. It does make a difference. If you are a regular listener, why not buy us a coffee? You can do this by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash businessmaster. You'll also be able to get access to exclusive content from the guests and myself further insights and information on the featured episodes and how you can get more access for yourself and your business.